scripture reading today is First uh, Peter chapter two. We're going to be reading verses twenty-one and twenty-two. First Peter chapter two, twenty-one and twenty-two. <clears throat> For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did not? <clears throat> excuse me. Who did not sin, neither was no guile found in his mouth. May he bless his reading of his word. God bless you. Go ahead. Happy Sabbath, everyone. This is not my day job. But we're going to get through it. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this for your mercy. Lord, I ask you today for a special blessing on this service. Lord, I can do nothing without you. So, Lord, I ask for, uh, for you to dwell here with me, Lord, and help help me. Lord, your your word says in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen that if we seek you with all of our hearts, that we will find you. Lord, I ask that you give us that kind of spirit and that kind of heart, not just for today, but always, Lord. Lord, I just uh, ask that you uh, continue to be with us on this Sabbath day, help us to stay focused, and just strengthen me, Lord. Let not my words be heard today, Lord, but yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First of all, I'd like to share a little short video of these missionaries. Can you play it, Manny? Hi, I'm Steve Saint. Sixty years ago, right now, God began writing a story that deeply, deeply impacted my life, as well as that of four other families and hundreds of thousands of people around the world. You know, Psalm 145.4 says, about God's stories, generation after generation stands in awe of your work. Each one tells stories of your mighty acts. The story that God started writing 60 years ago was a story about my dad, Nate Saint, and four of his friends, Jim Elliott, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, and Ed McCulley had decided to try to make contact with a really violent tribe of Indians living down in the Ecuadorian Amazon. These people had been harassed by the Shell Oil Company and had been killing oil company employees, trying to keep those employees from entering into their territory. The Shell Oil Company had gone to the Ecuadorian government and convinced them that if they wanted the Shell Oil Company to find oil, that together they had to get rid of this problem. So dad and his friends decided to try to make a contact, a friendly contact, before efforts were made to try to wipe this small tribe of violent people um, out. In the process, dad and his friends were killed, but that's only the beginning of the story. A few years ago, I was traveling with a man that we call Grandfather Minkai, one of the members of the tribe, 
that killed dad and his friends. And uh, while we were traveling and speaking with uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, a, a contemporary Christian musician, a journalist from USA Today gave me a call and said, uh, you know, I'd like to interview you. But then he said, but first I want to ask you some questions. A USA Today editor, when he was interviewing us, said, you know, I can understand possibly forgiving the man who killed your father. But he said, but loving him, that seems almost morbid. And you know, it would be if it wasn't true. But the answer to why and how something like this can happen is really very simple. It's God's grace and the power of his word. You know, my dad and his four friends were willing to die rather than to kill the Waurani. Uh, when they were attacked, they all had guns and the Waurani had spears. Um, so I figured as a little boy, well, my dad must have loved the Waurani. And then after dad was killed, every night when we'd meet for family devotions, my mom would pray for those people that had just brutally killed my dad and ruined my life. And then, a couple of years later, Mom told me that my Aunt Rachel, who was like a second mother, my dad's sister, and uh, Aunt Betty, who wasn't really my blood relation, um, but called her Aunt Betty anyway, Aunt Betty Elliot, that the two of them were going to go in and try to live with the same people that had just killed Dad and Roger and Pete and Ed and Jim. And I thought, what a dumb thing to do. They'll just kill Aunt Rachel and Aunt Betty too. But Aunt Rachel and Aunt Betty went in and they weren't killed. But I knew that Aunt Rachel loved those people enough that she was willing to die for them. But by the time I met them a couple of years later, I was convinced that these were the most special people on earth. I mean, why would my dad and his friends be willing to risk their lives and then not try to defend themselves when they were attacked? Why would my mom go on praying for them? And why would Aunt Rachel be willing to risk her life unless these were really, really special people? You know, I thought as our conversation, my conversation with the uh, journalist was winding down, I thought, you know, there's an old saying, hurt people hurt people. Well, maybe it's also true that forgiven people learn to forgive people. Um, there's a, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians that I, I thought of too. And it made me feel bad because that journalist really wanted to know if this man that, that I was traveling with and, and rooming with and that I loved was the same man who had killed my dad and his four friends. And I had said yes, but I had misled him. Uh, oh, he looked like the same man and he had the same general personality but he wasn't the same man. Let me explain. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, it starts out this way. If anyone is in Christ, or our young people might say into Christ, if, if anyone is into Christ, he is a new creature. Instead of going back and finishing the verses in regular English, let me try it. I'm going to read it to you in Hawaiian Pidgin, a language which you'll understand, although you probably have never read it. In Hawaiian Pidgin, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, That's why whoever stay tight with Christ, they one new kind of guy. 
This is a real language. The old things no stay no more. Look, the new things went come. All that stuff had come from God. He went bring us back the same side with him because of what Christ went do. And now he tell us for work so the other people can come back together with him too. That's our objective. If you're a Christ follower, that is our commission from Christ. We were brought back the same side with God after we had strayed. And now our objective should be to try to bring other people back the same side with Christ. Oh, I don't mean forcibly but to share the good news, the gospel with them so that they have a choice to live peaceably with God. Grandfather Minkai has told me a number of times and others of the men who killed Dad uh, and Roger and Pete and Ed and Jim after they became Christ followers, and, and don't get me wrong, not the whole tribe became Christ followers, but when those people who did became Christ followers, they actually began teaching me when I was living with Aunt Rachel how to become a Christ follower. It really is true. If anyone is in Christ, they become a new kind of guy. The name of the sermon today is an example. There's no question in my mind that those sacrifices those men made changed a lot of people's lives. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but them, them uh, Ecuadorian Indians, they had better looking teeth than I've got. And the reason why, you probably don't know, is from this story, they ended up starting reaching these tribes out there and they realized they needed medical help. They needed dentists. So they come up with this, this backpack style dentist chair. It weighed 35 pounds, you could fold it out in one minute. And it was all self-contained, zzzz and all that. And they started reaching people that way. And then, there's not, not just the second generation, but the third generation, now they've got a car that's an airplane. I mean, it's crazy, you know, how through our examples in life, you may not realize it. There's a butterfly effect going on around us. So it's very important that we look at some Bible examples this morning about examples. And I'm going to point out some good and I'm going to point out some bad. So y'all bear with me. I don't know if, are y'all familiar with the story of Lot, Genesis 19.1? Do we need to read it? The story goes <clears throat> that these men show up and Lot doesn't realize they're angels at first. It says in the Bible that they were angels, but in the Spirit of Prophecy and the Conflict of Ages story, you read it in Patriarchs or the Patriarchs of Prophets book, she says <clears throat> that they came to the gate and um, Lot comes to him and says, because he knows how bad the streets are. He don't want to stay out after dark. So he tells them, hey, come to my house. And so they kind of shut him away to see what he does. And he, he's persistent. He's like, no, you need to come with me. He takes them back to his house, but it's a, uh, they did that to really see if he was sincere on, on saving them or helping them. And he learned and that he learned that. And I didn't realize this until I read it in Patriarchs and Prophets. But he learned the, that hospitality, that being kind from Abraham. 
Let me read it to you. Uh, it's page 132, Patriarchs and Prophets. <clears throat> it said, Lot did not know their true character, but politeness and hospitality were habitual with him. They were a part of his religion, lessons that he had learned from the example of Abraham. <clears throat> you know, these angels, which he doesn't know they're angels at first, these men start collecting at the door, try to, you know, tell them, bring them men out so we can have our way with them. And Lot ends up stepping out, tries to persuade them not to, not to be mean to them, or we know what, what they was wanting to do. <sighs> he realizes they're angels when they, when they, he, when they reach out and drag him into the, into the house and they blind everybody there where they can't find the door. And these angels proceed to tell him that they're going to destroy Sodom. So he, Lot goes out and he tries to talk to his daughters because they've married and they won't have nothing to do with it. It's just like when we go out and we tell everybody Jesus is coming. Ah, oh, no, we got another day. We got one more day. This is just the same thing. They don't listen. So Lot comes back and he hesitates. He's, uh, he delays on, on taking action. When you first read over that, you're like, well. You go further along in the story, it talks about this. Let me read some of this to you. So, but Lot confused. And, oh no, let me see. Lot returned sorrowfully. This is after he goes and talks to his daughters, to his home, and told the story of his failure. The angels bid him, Arise and take his wife, take your wife and your two daughters, who are yet in the house, and leave the city. But Lot delays. He hesitates. We'll jump forward when finally the angels take him by the hand and drag him out of there. <clears throat> I'm going to say something to you. Lot's wife was destroyed because of Lot. If he had never hesitated, if he had just took and went, listened to God, his word, he'd have been saved, she would have too. Let me read this to you. It says, If Lot had manifested no hesitation to obey the angel's warning, he had earnestly fled toward the mountains without one word of pleading or uh, remorse, his wife also would have made her escape. The influence of his example would have saved her from the sin that settled or sealed her, her doom. But his hesitancy and, his, and delay caused her to lightly regard the divine warning. While her body was upon the plain, her heart clung to Sodom, and she perished with it. See, she was still clinging to her, and it's understandable. You know, I've got family members that, that I want to save so bad, but they won't listen. And I'm sure that she felt the same way. There's no way that I've, we built this, this nice house, and my daughters. I don't want to leave. But God's telling, telling him and her, come. Don't let this stuff hold you back. You know... <clears throat> I 
There's a warning also in this book for all of us. Let me read it. It says, The Redeemer of the world declares that there are greater sins than that from which Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Pay attention, y'all. Those who hear the gospel's invitation, calling sinners to repentance, heed it not, are more guilty before God than they were the dwellers in the, in the Bible of Sodom. And still, greater sin than theirs who profess to know God and keep his commandments, yet who deny Christ in their character. It's pretty crazy. In the light of the Savior's warning, the fate of Sodom and its solemn abomination trifled with heaven's sent light and privilege. You know, the devil, the devil is never more successful than when we're idle. We're doing nothing. We're just scrolling through the TV. We have got to keep our focus. She says here that Satan lies in ambush, ready to destroy those who are unguarded, whose leisure gives him the opportunity to insinuate himself under some attractive disguise. He is never more successful and when he comes to men in their idle hours. Pretty powerful. <clears throat> Moving on to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. These boys. Jason, you have rules in your house for your kids. Why do you have rules for them? Because you love them. Train them up and get them ready for the world. These boys were trained in such a way that they were faithful in all the little things. They prayed. They had family worship probably morning, night, probably midday, who knows. But they were trained up in such a way that when they were taken captive by the King Nebuchadnezzar, and mind you, they had, these boys all had Christian names. The Bible says something to the fact of what their name is, so he will be. But Nebuchadnezzar desires to change them. He's not going to force it on them. He's going to subtly do it. So he, he, he makes them walk all the way back to Babylon, which is probably what the desert, 100 miles. Makes them eunuchs. So they have no chance of having a baby. The promised Messiah. You have to think about this. Changes their names to pagan God names. Then he gets them there, he offers them to eat from the king's table. And doing so, they would have, I mean, you've got to put yourself in that position. It's God, I mean, he, he's took everything from them. But they stay faithful. And they don't. And I think from them being faithful in the small things, God was able to use them in the big things. Now move, move, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. And let's read a little bit of this. Otherwise, I'm going to run through this and not have enough. We're going to be out of here before time. <laughs> I believe it's right there, first of the chapter. Let me get to it. Sorry, y'all. So King Nebuchadnezzar here, he, 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 he builds this golden image. Uh, I'm skipping the, the fact that Daniel's already interpreted the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. So these boys are leaving, leaving the example. They're standing faithful. They're standing tall for God. But 
king makes this this uh, this uh, the statue. He orders everyone when they when they uh, what does it say right here? Let's start at uh, chapter verse five. He says that at what time you hear the sounds of the corn flute, harp, sackbut, sec, how's it say that word? Plastery. Anyways, it's a bunch of musical instruments. You should fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. <clears throat> Where do they start talking? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful. So jump to, to verse 16. These boys say this to the king after he's ordered them, hey, I'm going to throw you in this fire. They said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. How strong is that? <clears throat> this morning, this is confirmation. You know, anytime you get the opportunity to speak, and I think you should, but when you come to Sabbath school and are talking about the same thing that you're fixed to preach about, and this morning we was talking about people that were here, and most of us were, <sighs> being able to stand in the fire and praise God. Man. That's where it's at. But see, the only way you can do that is when you understand that you're living for a higher calling. That none of this even matters. So how, how easy is it, though, to lose focus? The Bible says that we should study to show thyself approved. And we should study diligently. Like there's nothing else that matters. Fortunately, the devil is pretty good at what he does to keep us busy on other things that we shouldn't be busy on. Anyway, so they don't bow down. They get thrown into the furnace. Jesus saves them. Make a long story short, moving further a couple chapters, Daniel, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar ends up writing a chapter in the Bible. How crazy is that? Public enemy number one for the Hebrews writes a chapter in the Bible, saves, gets saved. And for me, it's plain to see. Who did he see God in? Because none of the Babylonians were worshiping the Lord. He had to have seen it in them boys. My question to you all is, when we leave here, People see God in us. Or are we just being pew-warmers? Fortunately, a lot of times I fail at this, this test. I'm that man. And I'm not making excuses because uh, I had a pretty tough grow, uh, life growing up. And those habits die hard. But we should always, daily, Paul says, get up and die daily. Moving forward, 
ultimate example is Jesus. I want to ask you a question. What, besides death, what three things does sin do? Does anyone know? What would you say? That's one. It hurts you, and it hurts others. Remember that. I got a pop quiz. I'm sure Jason probably knows this. If you got a phone handy, you can probably look it up. How many verses are in the Bible? How many verses? Anyone going to make a guess? There's a bunch. There's 31,102 verses in the Bible. And scripture says, check this out. John 10.35, Scripture cannot be broken. John 17.17 17 says, My word is truth. There's 31,102 verses that are truth that can't be broken. How many do you need? Look with me at uh, 2 Peter 121. Please. If I can find that book. It's a tough one. You know, usually I write the sermon or the, the scripture down so I don't have to look it up myself. But I gotta eat up some of this time somehow. <laughs> uh, so first Peter one twenty one. Sorry, it's 2 Peter 1.21. I knew I was looking at the wrong one. It says, For prophecy came not in old times by the will of men, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we can trust the Word of God. I don't know why is it that we, we just read it like it's a book and set it over in the corner and treat it like it's a book because it's not. It's the living word of God. You know, we've got an example of Jesus uh, when he was tempted. What do you tell the devil? I know y'all know because I say it a lot of times. It is written. I don't know if anybody's ever read this book. It's called The Desire of Ages. Huh? It's a good one. Page 121 says this. I believe it's actually on 122. <clears throat> Talks about the perfection of character. And how this is accomplished, Christ shown us by what means did he overcome the conflict with Satan? By the word of God. Only by the word could he resist temptation. It is written, he said, and unto us are given exceedingly great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. 2 Peter 1.4 Every promise in God's word is ours. By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, we are to live. 
when assailed by temptation, look not to circumstances or the weakness of self, but to the power of the word. All its strength is yours. Says thy word, saith the psalmist, have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. By thy word, thy lips, I have kept me from the path of the, of the destroyer. <clears throat> you know, there's scripture, first twenty, uh, first Peter 5, 8, talks about uh, Satan. And I don't like to talk a lot about him, but I'm going to point this out. First Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh around, seeking whom he may devour. You know, I've been to jail. I've been in jail uh, back in the 90s. Back in the 90s, uh, if you wasn't a pretty tough guy, you wasn't going to go draw down at the canteen. I don't know if y'all know what canteen was. It's basically the store. You wasn't going to make it back to your cell without getting robbed. And being in that kind of environment, every time the weight pile was open, I was there. Yes, you're in gladiator school. It's not if, it's when your card's going to get pulled. Well, let me tell you something. This world is tougher than prison. We just don't see it. Our spiritual battle is real. I wish we could see it like you can see it physically in prison. Those traits have followed me forever. I still, it's one of the first things I do every day is I get some exercise in. But we should fight like everything depends on it. Because it does. He is seeking whom he may devour. And if you don't study God's word like it's the last thing, the most important thing in the world, you're not going to be ready. You know, when Jesus had the weight of the world on his shoulders, the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying to God. He says, let's look it up. It says uh, Matthew 26, 39. We'll just read it real quick. says, O Father, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as yours. Let your will be done. How often in our life does something come up and we don't even, we don't even think about praying about it? We do our will and not God's will. And then we get down the rabbit hole and we look back and we're like, wow. You know, it's a, this is a huge example that, that no matter what, we need to do God's will. I mean, he could not see past the, past the cross. He didn't know that, that he's going to be resurrected. The weight of the world was on his shoulders. I can't imagine. He's sweating blood. But it's an example for us. You know, the scripture reading 
says that he came and left us an example for us to follow in his steps. It hurts my heart when I hear people say that I can't live a righteous life. Well, that may be kind of true, but who are you focusing on? Another thing is, you're telling me that devil is more powerful than my God, Jesus. That's what you're saying. you believe the devil can keep keep you in sin when Jesus says that in Luke 9 23 and 24 25 he talks about look with me just a couple a couple a couple books over that's one of my favorite chapters one of my favorite verses and he says it all when he says this he says and Jesus said to them all if any man will come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever will save his life, shall lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. We have a denial to do. We can't just live any way we want to. You know, the, like I said earlier, it hurts my heart when, I, when I'm trying to minister to people and they bring up the, the fact that, well, we can't live sinless lives. They bring up a scripture uh, that Paul wrote. And I, and I, have y'all ever seen, drove down the street and seen a beautiful house that's got nice, nice yard, beautiful garden, trees are trimmed. That just doesn't happen on its own. Those people that live there are constantly busy. And that's the same way with our Christian life. We constantly got to be working at this. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a, a okay, I'm going to go get baptized and tomorrow I'm going to put my Bible up, I'm going to pick up on my dash and that's it. I'm, I got my ticket. But unfortunately, that's the way the world lives. They think that it's over with. Once saved, always saved. Let me tell you something, you're being lied to. Because Jesus says you will know them by their fruits. Luke 9 62 says it this way. Whoops. It says anyone who uh, talks about where I'm at. I'm getting close. It says no man having put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Hmm. Look a lot. I mean, you know, lots of life. We cannot look back. You know, I, I got a friend that just went to California. She's a uh, She's trying to get help in a in a rehab, and I, I wrote in a Steps to Christ book, mailing it off to her. And I told her, "Don't look back. That's it's over with. Be done with it. You got to change your playmates, playground, and play things. Those people that are on your phone and they're in trouble, get rid of it. You got to, or you'll go right back to it." 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm pretty sure he, he mentioned that in the video. We'll read it again. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, I, I struggle, y'all. I struggle with this, this walk. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not... I'm not this perfect Kenny, this perfect Christian. 
I wish I was. Like I said, it's a fight. Does the flesh want to? Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're tired. My days start at 2 o'clock in the morning. And the reason why I start at 2 o'clock in the morning is I want to go over here and get the job done where I can come home and get lazy again. <laughs> y'all, I gave y'all a Steps to Christ book. I don't know if y'all read it or not, but it's my absolute go-to book. It's one that you better have in your back pocket. But turn with me to the consecration uh, chapter. It's chapter 5. And I'm going to read a little bit of this to y'all. Because this is where I mess up. This is where I, you know, I've been through this recovery and doing these steps. I've realized some things. It says, many are inquiring how I am to make the surrender of myself to God. You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power, enslaved to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Your promises and resolutions are, are like ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity. It causes you to feel that God cannot accept you, but you need not despair. What you need to understand is the force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man. The power of decision or of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. The power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections. But you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. He will then in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus, your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon him. Your thoughts will, will be in harmony with him. Desires for goodness and holiness are right as far as they go. But if you stop here, they will avail nothing. Many will be lost while hoping desires or desiring to be Christians. They do not come to the point of yielding the will to God. They do not now choose to be Christians. Through the right exercise of the will, an entire change may be made in your life. By yielding up your will to Christ, you ally yourself with the power above it all. All principalities and powers. You will have strength from above to hold you. You know, I wrote something down. I wasn't going to share it, but I'm going to share it anyway. Now, how often I think about how awful Judas was for selling Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And I sell him out daily for less. How sad is that? I mean, think about that. My favorite author wrote this. He says, Sanctification is not the work of a moment or of an hour, but it is a work of a lifetime. <sighs> Let's pray, y'all. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, you're so good to us.
We are so thankful for your patience with us and your long, unending love. Lord, we ask that you give us give us the heart that just desires nothing but you in our lives, Lord. Help us to seek you with all of our hearts so we may find you, Lord. Lord, I ask that you just continue to be with us, bless us, strengthen us, and I ask, Lord, that you continue to give us the will to want to do your will, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all.